song that keeps uh, playing over the years. And once in a while in my own head, Manic Monday. A few of you might know it. Six o'clock already, I was just in the middle of a dream. I was kissing Valentino by a crystal blue Italian stream. I, that's not my dream, but um, I was kissing Nancy. But here's a second. I can't be late because then I guess I wouldn't get paid. These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. Chorus, it's just another manic Monday. I wish it was Sunday because that's my fun day. My I don't have to run day. It's just another Manic Monday. I think we can identify uh, with it, whether we uh, agree with the entire sentiment of the song or not, and it's, its application or its uh, version of a solution. Uh, the, the weeks are fast-paced. The weeks just keep on going. One, one sociologist has called it social acceleration. It's kind of how he defines modernity. And it's uh, quite, an interesting, quite an interesting concept. But we're here to talk uh, now about, well, we were initially going to think about commands four and five, but <sighs> there's just too much to talk about number four. And I don't think I'm going to get through to number five. But I have the notes here, just in case. Um, four and five go together. Let me just get a little geeky here, okay? When we think about the Ten Commandments, we often will hear this description of two tables. The first four on one table and the second six on another table. And oftentimes we think of Moses with the two tablets and we think of four of them are on one tablet and six are on the other tablet. But that's, <clears throat> no, that's not how it goes. It's actually government stuff. It's duplicate, right? There's two copies of exactly the same thing. Ten on one tablet, ten on the other tablet. But we talk about the two tables, uh, probably wrong language, but we think about our, the summation that Jesus makes of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in that summary, we think, well, the first four must be that first command, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Someone asked me this week, very honestly, um, do you love the Lord with all your heart and soul and strength? And very honestly, I said, no. That's why we're here, and this is why we, we need the blood of Jesus to continue to wash over us. So we were getting there, degree by degree, of glory unto glory. We're getting there. We're being made more and more holy. But the second command then is, is love our neighbor as ourself. And uh, so then the latter six uh, supposedly uh, fit on that second commandment. But, but structurally, look at four and five. And both of these words are positive. That is to say, they tell us what we are to do. They do not directly initially say what we are not to do. They're, they're formally put in the positive form. Now that's kind of interesting. We talked about this just briefly last time, that negative commands are actually more limiting um, than, I'm sorry, positive commands are actually more limiting than negative commands. Negative commands say, don't do it that way. You can do it any other way but that one. 
positive command, say, you have to do it this way. There is no other way. That's something for us to ponder and consider when, when we consider the Word of God, when we consider His will and His directives for us, and how gracious He actually is in giving us these ten words in the form that they are. There's actually a lot of liberty that is inherent in these. However, these, these two are positive, and that does become a bit more, I suppose, limiting. But this is the way we live within the boundaries of the others. So these two words actually uh, structurally fit together. They not only are positive, but they both refer to time. Do you notice that? Both refer to the time frame of the day. The day. Now, number four says, rest one day, work six. Days. Cycles of days. In fact, a cycle of seven days. And then the fifth command is, is positive. Honor your father and mother, and there's a blessing that's attached to this one. Paul highlights this in Ephesians and uh, Colossians. He identifies this is the one command that has a promise. There's a blessing that you would live long in the land that the Lord your God would give you. So this, this time frame uh, and that your, your, that your days would be long in the land, right? This time frame, the cycle of the seven and then rest or rest and then the six is to be perpetual and you respect and you honor family, particularly the parental head of household, in order that that cycle would continue in the land, on and on and on. And one of the great travesties for Israel as a, a nation is that they did not do Sabbath well, and they did not honor father and mother well, and as a result, they didn't stay in the land as they were supposed to, and they were exiled. They were disciplined for their sin and their disobedience in order that the land would have its rest. So you see the, the way that these two words are connected. And thirdly, we have this idea of family that's inherent in both of these words. Now, the second was quite obvious. The fifth word says honor father and mother. It's pretty obvious. It's about family, parental, and child relationships. But the first one is also. And it talks about, oh, not specifically the word, word parent, but it does talk about the head of the household and the parent who has a son and a daughter and a male servant and a female servant and livestock and sojourners, resident aliens uh, doing tasks around the, the ranch. So my, my working thesis here is that command five is not the hinge moving from honoring God to honoring our neighbor. Number four is already hinging, moving us toward the broader how do we treat one another. And it begins with the family relationship. The heads of households are initially responsible to put this in place. And it 
comes through this period of rest, this cycle of seven. And the Lord says, keep this and apply this in your household. Apply this to yourself. Apply this to your sons, your daughters, your servants. Establish justice. And, and, and so what an equity. You know, in a, in, a, in a day where we're ranting over justice, it's right here, even in its seed form. Everyone is included. Everyone is included. Even the people that are not national, ethnic Israel, everyone is included. There's equity. There's a rest for everyone. Do you remember Israel being slaves in Egypt? And they were not treated equitably. They had a harsh master in Pharaoh. And the Lord is saying, remember those things. And when you go into a land and you establish your own head of household and you establish your own families, do not be a Pharaoh to them. Be gracious and give them rest. These are important things to consider. Fourthly, if you're keeping track, these words are based in the creation ordinances. The seventh day is the day God rested, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And then Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 to 25 is the day when God gives this, uh, what we use as the uh, part of the marriage vows. A man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two will become one flesh. It's inherent in the order of creation. And the coming one flesh is, is in essence part of, not the whole thing, but part of the two becoming one, one flesh and, and what happens, they are fruitful and they multiply. And that's the context within which this concept of covenant relationship and marriage is established. Now, in fact, we find all the ten words inherent in the creation order. And because they're in the creation order, they precede Moses and Sinai, which means they transcend culture, they transcend time and space. Like, what does that mean? It means they're all but this number four directly repeated in the New Testament as a way that we are to live as part of God's created order, let alone as his faithful disciples. Now, if you're feeling tension with that and, and a little controversy over our theology, well, uh, that's intended. But it is a time that we can have more conversation. This word begins positively. It says, do this. Remember. Remember the Shabbat day. Shabbat Yom. Remember, remember the, well, we could really summarize it as the seventh day, although it is a bit different. This is the noun form of the verb or of the number seven. Um, Israel's calendar was, was loaded with sevens. It wasn't just a seven-day week. But the, 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 you count those weeks and you count seven from the day of first fruits and seven sevens, you end up with the day of Pentecost. And that's one example. Look at Leviticus 23 for uh, devotion time this afternoon before your nap. And you'll see that there are seven festivals within the Jewish calendar. 
You know, two examples of how seven is just all over their calendar. There's a way to keep time. This is indeed not just the sanctity of a day. This is about the sanctity of time. There are cycles to time, and God has instituted these in the order of creation. Now, what's fascinating is that if you count the movements of the moon and of the sun and of the stars, seven just doesn't quite work easily. It doesn't fit well. Um, the Egyptians, for example, had... Um, 30-day months, three weeks of 10. That'd be a lot easier in some ways, wouldn't it? God, God gives a special revelation about the Sabbath. Just the, our natural observation doesn't easily work into a cycle of seven days. It's close. Four cycles of seven are 28, but we end up with a month of 30, 31 days, and then we have to make up for it with a month of 28 days. See? Time. A time to remember. Remember. It means they already knew. It's not something new to them. In fact, Exodus 18, as they're supposed to go out and, and gather and collect the, the manna, they're already told six days you go out and collect manna, the seventh day you don't collect any. I'll provide enough for you, the Lord says, on the sixth day, so you don't have to do this on the seventh day, on the Shabbat. This is before Sinai. This is before the Ten Commandments, before the law. This is built into the creation order. And they already knew this. So he says, remember this. And, and there is a place, in fact, for work. We miss this as, as secondary within the word, but it's the same grammatical construction. And if we have trouble keeping the first part of this resting on the Sabbath day, do you have trouble with the second part of this? Six days you shall labor. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. How? So why do we feel so entitled to a five-day work week when God says six? Hmm. Now, reality is, I understand, even if you're not punching in the time clock at your place of employment on Saturday, you're probably working your tail off catching up with stuff around the house and the yard. Yeah. I don't even catch up. I'm so far behind. I can't even work with two commandments for one sermon. We've got to narrow it down to one. There is a place in a, for work. Work is honorable. Work is a divine privilege to steward the resources of the earth for the blessing of others and the flourishing of humanity as well as the whole of creation. The whole of creation. In fact, even within this word, the fourth word, livestock are included it's for the benefit of the whole of society, the whole of the creation. There is a place for work. There's a wonderful new publication, a, 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 a journal that comes out about the, 
the beauty of work and human flourishing. And I, um, I'm excited, thrilled to work through that and learn more of these. But we want to focus on the day. I know you really want to focus on the work part, right? But we struggle with this, and, and there's the myth, the myth of the French work week, I suppose, right? By law, in the year 2000, they said you have to have a 35-hour work week. But the reality is, it doesn't quite work that way. And then their, their day is a bit more relaxed and paced. They have a longer lunch period and a little bit of coffee, tea time in the afternoon, very, very religious uh, in, its own, in its own practice and essence. And most of the cadres in France don't get home till 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, starting at 8 in the morning. It's a long day. You figure the breaks and it's about an eight-hour day like us. So they had to figure out, the unions had to figure out a way, well, how do we get that 35 work week? So they'd average it. So they have longer paid time off. There's a, there's a, a, a five-week government standard, uh, but depending on which branch uh, of the union you're in, um, you may get more. Then they have 12 public holidays. And, and you see the, the turmoil uh, in the news today about the unions revolting uh, against the president and, and against the, the, the change in the work week, change in the pension plan and all this. These are important things. How do you work as a Christian? And how do you rest as a Christian? The way we live is at least a testimony, a witness to what we believe about God as the Creator and the Redeemer. It's at least a witness, if not an opportunity, to be evangelistic. Now, if we were to watch your life from above, how would it look? Would it look different enough to be considered testimony, witness? let alone evangelistic, in the way you use your time. There is indeed the place for work, but there's the place for rest. Verse 10 uh, goes on. It says, the seventh day. Yeah, you work six, but the seventh day is a Shabbat. It's a pun. The word Shabbat probably based on the number seven, the word seven. You can kind of hear that even in English. Seven Sabbath, seven Shabbat. It's a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall do no work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. In a 24-7 world, and in a world of as the one philosopher, so, 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 Sociologist. Sociologist. Um, talks about societal acceleration. I don't know if you've, anyone hear about societal acceleration? You've all experienced it. Oh, yeah, our, our engineer smart people. Because this is, this is a, a, a sociological, I'll call him philosopher. Hartmut Rosa. 
And he talks about as things accelerate, the only, the only real way to keep modernity stable is to keep growing and keep accelerating. It's, it's, I, I, I suppose it's like a top or a gyroscope. It has to keep spinning to be stable. As soon as it slows down, as soon as it starts to slow, it topples. It loses its stability. So how do you maintain? You keep spinning it. You've done this on the merry-go-round. A, a good analogy. That, that creates all kinds of um, desynchronization. So his, his solution is something he calls resonance. Resonance. The vibes. You feel it when you fall in love. You know, he mentions those kinds of things. It resonates. And he says the, the solution is in modern society of that when you feel desynchronized or detached, it's not to slow down in a modern society. It's to find resonance. Don't rest. Find resonance. Now there's lots to talk about there. But let's go back to this idea of rest. In this kind of world that's 24-7, I mean, who would have ever imagined you'd get Amazon Prime on Sunday? I mean, have you ever, have you ever stopped to, to ponder if you hit click and it says deliver on Sunday? Have you ever stopped to ponder, huh, maybe I should just wait a couple hours so it comes on Monday instead of Sunday? You, you chuckle as if you haven't. I do. We won't talk about Amazon uh, any further. How do, you, how do you spend a day of rest? Well, the principle of all this rest comes from God. It's in verse 11. For in six days, here's the rationale. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. And the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I, oh my goodness. God made heaven and earth in six days. And you remember the verse, bef a couple of verses before he says, do all your work in six days. Like, Lord, I can't do it all in six days. He did. He made the universe and all that is in it in six days. Oh. See, I still don't measure up. I need his grace. And I need a time to pause and to remember I can't. He can. And that's what this cycle is about. And that's why God rested. He didn't necessarily rest for himself. He rested for us. In fact, doesn't Jesus say in Mark's gospel that, that man is not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is made for man. That, that adds to my little thesis, working thesis, that this is the hinge that's moving toward man-centeredness in well, that's not the right way to say it. But the manward direction of the commandments in number four. 
Number four is not about keeping the day necessarily, but that it's for our good. And, and it has these social, societal implications. Rest. The principle is from God. He rested on the seventh day. God himself entered into contemplation upon his word and his work. God created, did the work by the word. In fact, on the sixth day, especially, it, it is, is highlighted that Adam is formed by words out of the dust. Not by hand. Adam's not handmade. He's word made, formed out of the dust. And then the breath of God breathes into him that breath of life and he becomes a living soul. God himself contemplates his own word and his work. And again, as we mentioned, God broke into the cycle. This is not based on the solar system and observation. In fact, when you look at the days of creation, uh, the sun wasn't made the first day. So how do you know about rotations and hours and minutes and blah, blah, blah? I, I suspect God purposefully did that. To de-elevate the sun. And to make a life cycle that is based on his special revelation. So this, with this special revelation, God reserves a special day. And the focus of your life is not to be work. Even though it's six out of seven days, your focus, your center is not to be work. Your value, your value as a person is not in your work or your tasks, your lists, checking them off. That is not where you are find value. You are valued because you are created in the image of God to bring him glory and to enjoy him. And we find our value when we contemplate, when we reflect upon his word and his work. His words and works of creation and his words and his works of redemption. Adam's first full day of life was day number seven. And God says, rest. The week begins for us with a reorientation, a reflection upon God. Now, in the Jewish calendar and cycle, it ends up being the last day of the week. Number seven. In our nomenclature, Saturday. But in the creation order, work comes after rest for humanity. God works first. In fact, isn't that how the Bible puts it in so many ways? We love because he first loved us, God first. And so he works, 
he rests. And then man rests and works. Adam's first full day was the interruption of the task. Now, when it says do not labor, we tend to think the hammock. And, and again, in our accelerated societal reality, maybe that's okay. In fact, Adam took a nap on the sixth day. He, he, he did get to work. He counted all the animals. He named them. And, and in that created order, re recognized, hey, Lord, they're all paired up and they can multiply. How am I supposed to keep that mandate, that cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply when there's no one fit for me? And the Lord graciously says, I'm glad you noticed that, Adam. Why don't you rest? And so Adam takes a rest in the middle of his work day, siesta, and he wakes up. Wow. Yeah. Now he knows he can fulfill God's word to him. Our society is very confused about this isn't it? But this is a biblical worldview and this is the way God has made us and we labor and we pray that in time our societies around the world will recognize we're just made certain ways. Well, Jesus um, before I get there let me move on to this next side. We might debate the application of the seventh day as a Sabbath for the New Testament Christian. Now, in fact, we, like we said, this command is not overtly repeated in the New Testament writings. It's, it's implied all over the place. Jesus gives significant attention to the Sabbath as it's a place for his disciples, particularly before the cross. But Jesus highlights the abuses of the Sabbath, and he assumes that his disciples are going to keep Shabbat. And he's actually quite active in ministry on the Sabbath. And he gives us a, a paradigm that acts of mercy. Well, you just don't let somebody bleed on the Sabbath day. You do something about it. You don't, let your, you don't let your ox fall into the ditch and leave it there. You do something about it. It's mercy. Acts of, acts of necessity. His disciples go through and, and they pick grain. On the Sabbath day, you know, they're walking through the field and they're a little hungry and they, oh, they just take their hand and as they're walking, pull a little bit off of, of the stalk and nibble on it. Work. They picked food. Uh, Jesus says, didn't, didn't David eat the showbread? Acts of necessity. You, you need to eat. Uh, acts of mercy, acts of necessity, acts of piety. Like, doesn't the priest put on a really big barbecue every Sabbath day? In fact, multiple barbecues three times a day, every Saturday, every Sabbath? His heart, he works. Acts of mercy, acts of necessity, acts of piety. Jesus does them and Jesus endorses them. He isn't redefining Sabbath. He's actually defining it properly. 
You see, to do no labor, again, is not inactivity. It's intentional activity redirected toward the contemplation of God's word and his work. Now, several in our church family were raised in a religious environment that strongly and rigidly enforced Sabbath by refraining from television and games and playing outdoors and swimming and driving too far uh, and filling the car with gas as well as work. Some of you know that. Some of you remember that. And as I do, you're having bad memories. And some of you are saying, boy, you know, things were different then. The pace was different. Now, several of you have also observed you discerned the forms of hypocrisy during those up, up, upbringing years. Uh, the TV antenna was placed inside the rafters of the house so you could adjust it and no one would know. <laughs> and when you're on vacation away from the neighborhood and away from, well... And, but many more of us were in a Sunday routine of attending to the teaching of the Bible three times that day. Sunday school, morning worship, and evening service. That, well, those days are long gone. But, but now, now let's beware that whatever our past experience or our, our present uh, practice, we all observe Sabbath. We all do. The, the questions are, how do you do it and do you do it intentionally? The pattern of seven is built into our entire society. A seven-day week. And as we've read the Bible, we know it comes not from man's engineering. It comes from God's revelation. But the pattern of seven is in our entire society, not only Western cultures these days, but worldwide. As, as business becomes worldwide 24-7, Calendars have changed. Keeping of time has changed. It's becoming more unified. We still have different time zones, no doubt. But in order to cooperate over different time zones, we keep track of time and calendars the same way. All around the world, among cultures and peoples and religions and businesses, there's a seven-day week that's followed. And, and the pursuit of the weekend pursuit of the weekend, even if it's only for partying or abusive experiences, it, 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 it complements the biblical worldview. It's, it's a result of a biblical worldview. Even those weekend partiers get to do that because of the Bible. Talk about common grace. It's part of the created order, part of divine revelation to rest one day in seven. Yes, the world over does want to remember that rest. And the pattern of time is divinely gifted revelation, but mostly taken for granted, and even by us. Now, so this is partly my concern and emphasis why we, we follow the church calendar. We track time a bit differently. Not in terms of sevens. Well, yeah, we follow that pattern. For the Lord was raised on the first day of the week. But Christ is the fulfillment of all seven of those festivals in Leviticus 23. He is, has been, or will be the fulfillment of all those festivals. And I think it's worth our attention to keep track of them and to celebrate his work. 
Now, as New Testament Christians, we, let me say this, in a spiritual sense, in a religious sense, we do not keep Sabbath day. Oh, we have Saturday. We do the Saturday stuff. But we don't keep Sabbath, we don't keep Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day. I mean, it's inherent in the name, right? Seven Sabbath. It's inherent in the name. It's the seventh day, and it belongs to the Old Covenant. As the Old Covenant had a special day and a special meal, so the New Covenant has a special day and a special meal. We do not do Passover. We have the Lord's Supper. We do not keep Sabbath. We have the Lord's Day. Now, yes, we keep, we keep Sabbath in the sense that that's our weekend beginning. We don't have to go to work. We, we have this unusual experience of entitlement and we forget that we have Saturday off because it's the Jewish Sabbath and we have Sunday off because it's the Christian Lord's Day. Two days back to back. That's unusual and strange. The majority of our governments, businesses, neighbors have entirely forgotten this biblical basis for the cycle of the seven-day week and the benefits that they enjoy because of the Bible. But again, the Jewish Sabbath is not the, the Christian Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is the first day of the week, not the seventh, as Jesus was raised on the first day. Now, just a quick parallel. If you have seven days, six days of creation, seventh day rest, and then the next day is day number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Thank you, Sammy. Whew, they do teach them to count. In. Day number eight. Day number eight. Circumcision would happen on the eighth day. High celebration days were the day after Sabbath, the eighth day. Jesus is raised on the eighth day. And as the second Adam, he fulfills and accomplishes and obeys God's word in a way that the first Adam didn't. At least in the narrative of Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, day 8 is when Adam blew it. But day 8 is when Jesus rose from the dead. And we have the victory. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. And friends, this is the first day of the week. This is not your weekend. Stop it. It's not your weekend. This is your week beginning. God worked six days and rested the seventh, and then man rested the seventh day and then began his work. Because of the completed work of Jesus Christ, we can enter into the work week enabled, refocused, refreshed. <laughs> are you? Or are you like the Manic Monday gal? People. If you're not refreshed enough 
to get to it on Monday, well, you need to reconsider Lord's Day activity. Now, we're not to be overly rigid in our applications of so-called Sabbath principles on the Lord's Day. Some of you grew up that way. We talked about it. But know this. Some of our friends, our brothers and our sisters, Christians in other parts of the world that are predominantly under Muslim influence, their holy day is Friday. That's the day off. By the time Sunday comes, you're, you're in the middle of the work week. What do you do on the Lord's Day? You get up a little bit earlier so you can gather with the church and worship. And then you probably get on with the day as business as usual. But then you convene in the evening for worship and discipleship and fellowship. We forget the advantages, the privileges that we as Christians in the West enjoy. That many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world do not. So if you can get Sunday off work, fine. But the New Testament Christians didn't. The New Testament believers gathered for worship on the first day of the week, not the Sabbath day. It was a work day within the Roman Empire. In fact, the Roman Empire, not, not probably in Jesus' day, um, but previous to that, they tried out an eight-day week. Talk about a mess. Now, the, the New Testament believers, the New Testament church, went to work and then gathered in the evening for the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. Does it ever seem weird to you that we talk about having the Lord's Supper at 11.10 in the morning? Does that not bother you? I tell you, it bothers me. Philosophically, if I had my druthers and I was planting a church, the main service would be Sunday evening and we'd have the Lord's Supper every time. And it'd be supper. Just, just my druthers. And if I was planting a church, all right, you know, Grace has been here 90 years. But all this, all this, all this is to cause us to think more intentionally about what we do with the Lord's day. And why? Okay. Let's hit the pause button. Let me recap a few of these things. These principles are rooted in the order of creation. And the stewardship of time is a sacred endeavor that cycles forward, beginning with rest. And rest is an activity of contemplating God's works and God's words in creation and in redemption. And rest calls us back to God and admits, I can't do it all. It admits my dependence on Him for my life and my salvation. When I have to just constantly keep going, and when I come up with philosophies of resonance instead of rest, I'm fooling myself. 
and trying to, to sedate myself with the thoughts that I can do it all and I'm in control and I must master my own destiny. And it's a lie. We are built for God. And when we consider Him, contemplate Him, His words, His works, creation, redemption, then you have value recognized. Then you have your purpose fulfilled. So, Lord, take these ideas uh, that we've surveyed today and uh, by your Holy Spirit uh, put the right twist of application upon them for each of us as we figure out how to be people of God in this crazy world and society. Lord, you own it all. It's not really ours. We are but stewards. And so we would turn it over to you. All of it. Amen.